As of today, California's 50th congressional district does not have a representative. Duncan Hunter has stepped down and awaits sentencing in two months. Now that his political exit has been made, the fight is on for who will replace him. A new poll done by the San Diego Union-Tribune and 10 News shows a statistical dead heat between the two leading Republicans and a decrease in support for the leading Democrat. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Now that Duncan Hunter is out of Congress, we finally have a new look into what the race is shaping up to be. So we have our political team in the studio, political reporter Charles Clark and political columnist Michael Smolens. Let's start with the top level stuff. What does this poll say, Charlie? Right. So this poll, which was uh, conducted pretty much over this past weekend, as far as we know, it's the first poll conducted since Hunter has you know, indicated he was going to resign and has now officially left office by the time of this airing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what it found was that Amar Campanajar still holds the lead uh, among all of the candidates in the race for the primary, although his edge has dipped slightly. He's now at 26 percent. Uh, he's closely followed by Carl DeMaio and Daryl Issa, who are, uh, you know, in a dead heat at 20 percent, which seems to kind of follow what I think Michael and I have both, you know, noted in different reporting over the past months. Uh, Also, interestingly, State Senator Brian Jones, who's kind of the long shot or the best chance long shot Republican in the race, uh, Mm -hmm. he's now up to 12 percent. Interesting. And uh, Michael, can you give us a sense of the kind of fundamentals of the race? What are some key things to know about the 50th district that kind of should shade our understanding of these poll numbers? Well, it's a very Republican district, as we know. And uh, Duncan Hunter and his father, Congressman Duncan Hunter before him were very popular, got reelected by landslides. Uh, so it's not because he's become so controversial and, and a felon. Uh, it's not like who picks up the mantle there. Mm-hmm. I think what we've seen uh, since the race started really forming is that uh, Daryl Issa has come on. Um, the early poll that we had, he had just gotten in the race, and DeMaio had a bit of a lead over him. Now he's in a statistical dead heat with him, and he seems to be pouring a lot more money and effort into it. Um, uh, Amar Kampanajar, the, the the Democrat who almost beat uh, Hunter last year, uh, still looks pretty strong. Not too surprisingly, he's dipped a bit because I think the more people learn about the other candidates, you find out. And we, what we don't know is how many people that supported him last year really would rather have voted for a Republican, but they mm-hmm. found Hunter unacceptable. So he may be seeing some dip from that uh, at this stage. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's a district that's not exactly purple. So Amar Kampanajar does have an uphill battle. So let's kind of go through the paths of victory for the Republicans. Let's start with Issa. What are some of the things that he has going for him? Well, he's a former congressman, well-known. He had a great deal of uh, influence in Congress. He was the chairman of the House Oversight Committee. And he did represent uh, an earlier incarnation of his old 49th district. I'm not sure it was called that then, but did include part of what is now the 50th district. So mm-hmm. while he doesn't live in the district, and we've all made a big deal out of that, along with Carl DeMaio not living in the district, uh, he has represented a pretty substantial portion of it. Also, he has uh, the Elder Hunter's endorsement, and that's not a small matter. I mean, you might think that the Hunter name is now really tainted in in that uh, region, but I don't think that's the case. Uh, I think people have been forgiving to, to a degree for Duncan Hunter the uh, 
just ex-congressman. They don't like what he had done. His father had very strong standing there, and I guess that goes to show the fact that people were vying for his endorsement. And he's even appeared in a campaign ad for uh, for uh, Daryl Issa. I think Issa appeals more to the conservatives of the district, and it's a very conservative district. So mm-hmm. he's definitely got some advantages, not not uh, outright ones that could put him over the top, but uh, I think that that's part of the case. Yeah, and I'd you know add I think the note about, you know, where does Duncan's support kind of go is kind of the question a lot of us were looking at when we looked at the polls. Uh, You know, we don't know definitively, but just given the breakdown, it seems to suggest that his 11% that he was polling at seems to have dispersed amongst Daryl Issa and Brian Jones. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. interesting that Carl DeMaio himself remained just flat at 20%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like Carl DeMaio has a basis of support but doesn't quite have, I guess, that momentum to grow. What are some of those things that are preventing him to get that kind of larger swell of support? Well, I think uh, everybody has a record. Everybody has spoken a lot in politics. And let's not forget, Carl DeMaio ran in uh, a different, entirely different district, the 52nd District, which is a, a now become pretty much a blue district, uh, purplish to blue. He was talking a lot more moderate uh, uh, about abortion, about other things, and uh, things that that he are the ISA campaign is very happy to be pointing out, and I think that that will hurt him because he comes uh, to the campaign as a, a sort of an anti-government, uh, you know, uh, anti-tax advocate, mm-hmm. and he's got a pretty strong following there. But uh, he did uh, sort of play the moderate card, and he had never brought his personal life too much into his politics. But during that campaign, he did display the fact that he was he is gay and that he is married. And, uh, you know, that was part of his advertising. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing you wouldn't expect to happen in the 50th district. Uh, but people are, are being reminded of that. Yeah, in a sense, like Carl DeMaio seems to be more of the libertarian kind of flavor of republicanism, which doesn't necessarily seem to be the way the 50th is, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, we know they're obviously, most polling seems to suggest, very socially uh, conservative as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would also, you know, note, I think you raise a good point about how does he grow his support. And frankly, I'm just not really sure where he goes, right? You know, Michael notes that Daryl Issa has seemed to, you know, garnered most of the establishment figures. I've heard from people who just flat out say the establishment Republicans don't really care for Carl. Well, you know, he's, you know, I think arguably, you know, farther to the right. But the problem for him now is I don't know how that attracts independents. I, you know, highly doubt he'd ever be able to attract Democrats. I just don't know how much bigger he can get than the base he has. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned it earlier, Charlie, but when it comes to Brian Jones, what are some things we need to know about that candidate? Right. So Brian Jones is the state senator uh, who, you know, we've had a lot of people tell Michael and I that he is Mr. East County. You know, he has represented that district or portions of that district at just about every level of government from Santee City Council to State Assembly to State Senate. Uh, He is also, you know, very conservative. I know closely aligned with a lot of the religious groups, I believe, out there. Uh, And that's, I think, I mean, very, very active in that community, right, Michael? Mm -hmm. And I I think, you know, as Charlie, I think, coined the the long shot of the uh, upper tier candidates or however you put it, uh, he's come up quickly. Uh, he was at like 4% in our first poll and now 12%. Mm-hmm. I was a little surprised, but frankly, at both, given his his longevity there in the county and being a public figure, that he didn't do better. 
Um, it's an uphill battle for him. He won't have the resources of uh, Isa, certainly, and DeMaio. But you just never know about the dy- dynamics. Sometimes that, that we talk about Isa being sort of the establishment favorite. Uh, there's a bit of an anti-establishment feeling out in some of East County. They mm-hmm. like to, their individualism and stuff like that. And I also think that, that the more that this becomes a, a sort of a grudge match between uh, DeMaio and Issa, because of the conventional wisdom is Amar will get in, although he's not certain, as the Democrat, and it'll be one of those two. Uh, if it gets increasingly ugly, sometimes that can have uh, that kind of a weird effect of knocking both down. And a guy like Jones, who's a nice guy, people like him, he might not have to get his hands dirty and all that uh, to, to rise up. But he's got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like, at the very least, based off of this polling, certainly Amar Kampanajar is going to be in the November ballot, as well as one of the three Republicans we've mentioned. So when it comes down to that fight, what does Amar Kampanajar have to do to succeed? This is an uphill battle, but at the same time, this will be during the presidential election, which will theoretically get Democrats more engaged. How does he win this race if this is possible? Well, this is one of Charlie's favorite subjects. Uh, he <laughs> almost agrees with that, but not entirely. I'll let him take the ball here. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's interesting because we've all kind of assumed for, I think, the entirety of this race and pretty much since he announced that he was running again that a Mark Camp and a Jar would be one of the top two. You know, I still think in, you know, caveat being, that's probably how it's going to go. But kind of the polling and the fact that he started to dip slightly kind of suggests that he probably has to start being a bit more aggressive than mm-hmm. he has been. Uh, whether that's actually dipping into some of you know the war chests that he's been raising, and I think for the most part been keeping pretty dry, you know it, it, his support has dipped. There's finally another Democrat in the race who literally just announced in December she pulled at like four percent. Who knows what she'll do? But you know if he's only at twenty six percent and you've got both Carl and Daryl at twenty, let's say they each bump up two, and you know Marissa mm-hmm. peels off. Five percent. Well, all of a sudden, you have the nightmare scenario for Democrats. I mean, that's not likely, but it's not a statistical impossibility. Mm-hmm. Um, looking ahead and assuming that he does win, though, you know, his pathway to winning in the general is just very, very difficult. I, I don't think anyone is, you know, has any illusions about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, you know, he can certainly win. He almost did the last time. Uh, people talk about the big Democratic turnout, uh, certainly in the primary, because there's a contested primary, but. Mm-hmm. Generally, uh, general election years or presidential years in the general election, Democrats uh, do turn out better than they do in off years. Um, is that going to be enough in that district? Uh, you know, I, I mean, he his best scenario would have been to run against Duncan Hunter again, yeah. uh, and that's not the case. And and I think we'll see, like we're seeing some shifting, as I said earlier, of people that that uh, might not have otherwise supported him, except he was running against an indicted incumbent, and that's off the table now. Mm-hmm. Right. And just another note on the turnout factor, as I think Michael kind of was alluding to, in that district, that could backfire. I mean, yeah, you'll see an increase in turnout because it's the general election, but this is a district that overwhelmingly supports Donald Trump. They continue to do so. You would think that even now they're probably more energized to get out there and support him in the general election. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure he can really count on that Democratic bump to really put him over the edge. Mm-hmm. So stepping away from the candidates, what are the key issues that are going to define this race? Is there any one policy or one uh, set of things that are really on the forefront of the minds of the people in East County? Yeah. So, you know, there are quite a few issues that polled, uh, you know, statistically significant, at least in this recent poll, uh, including, you know, mainstays like immigration and border security. That was the top 
vote getter among constituents. Uh, you also saw, interestingly, holding the president accountable and rallying around the president just about equal in our polling. I mean, that's what we see nationally, so it makes sense. Uh, right, right. And they show up as, you know, the two and three issues. You then also see climate change, government spending, and gun rights all pull around 10% with people. So those seem to really be the defining issues. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense that, especially in the 50th, the border would be an issue because as the border walls being built and everything's changing with policies, it people are more likely to, you know, make illegal crossings in areas like the 50th because they've been pushed further into the desert, essentially. And, you know, the, the, the president sort of sucks the oxygen out of everything political these days. Uh, as uh, Charlie mentioned, that, that focus on the president is a high priority there, not always positively, but a lot positively. You sort of get that sense just looking at what ICE has been doing. He's been more active on Twitter, very supportive and defensive, if you will, of the president. Uh, so had been uh, Carl DeMaio. So you see that and uh, them trying to work that to their advantage as well. Um, Kampa Najjar doesn't really talk about Trump so much. He talks about the, the, the broader issues. And he uh, said not long ago that he would not have voted uh, to impeach him, which is hmm. uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and I would also note, you know, I think the border security element and the border wall element is really interesting in this district in particular, because if you go back through the years, for decades, that's been important here. I mean, you know, Duncan Sr., as I understand it, kind of his main kind of legacy piece was getting border fence construction along the border. All right. Michael Smolens, Charlie Clark, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. In other political news... Redistricting is coming to San Diego's nine city council districts. The city clerk began recruiting members this week for a nine-member independent panel of volunteers who will create new boundary lines for council districts based on the data from the coming census. The process is expected to be less turbulent than last time when the redistricting commission created in 2010 had to expand the number of council districts from eight to nine, necessitating significant changes. This time, the city will stick with nine districts. Federal law requires the difference in population between the largest district and the smallest one to be a maximum of 4.9%. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. If you also like your news in your email inbox, we've got you covered. You can sign up for breaking news, top headlines, business, sports, entertainment, watchdog, caregiving, and more. We've also got Boletines en Español, plus emails for Pacific Magazine and a host of community newspapers. Just go to unionchip.com slash newsletters. Until next time.